Hi, everyone. Welcome to the seven day work week, the labor after labor podcast. I'm Em. I'm Liz. So the way we're going to structure this podcast is every week we're going to come and start with a quote about moms or motherhood and then discuss and kind of revolve around that quote. So Liz, what did you find this week? Yeah, so today's episode is, uh, you know, called Why I Chose to Stay at Home. And so we just thought it'd be interesting to talk about um, the the choice uh, of staying at home as a parent. Um, this quote is something that I heard from um, a TED Talk that Roxanne Gay gave. Um, the TED Talk is called Confessions of a Bad Feminist. It's the same title as um, her book. Um, and uh, she says, if a woman chooses to stay home to raise her children, I embrace that choice. The problem is not that she makes herself economically vulnerable in that choice. The problem is that our society is set up to make women economically vulnerable when they choose. Let's deal with that. Um, and I thought that that really got at the heart of a lot of issues that people overlook um, with being a stay-at-home mother. Um and so I thought that like kind of talking about choice and economics could be a really interesting way to get into this idea of um, being a stay-at-home mother. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a stay-at-home mom for a little over a year now. And before doing so, I had a full-time job and we had a two-income household and it was great. It was working fine. And when I came to my husband with the idea that I maybe wanted to stay home full time, we had to look at the finances and we had to really break it down and say, can we still afford everything? All of our bills, our rent, our car payments, our student loan payments, everything that we have and still be okay. Can we survive off of one salary, which is a huge privilege. And we realize that, yeah, we can. It will be tight and, you know, we will have to go without things and maybe budget and shop a little more wisely, but it works for us and we decided that this was the best thing for our family. Yeah, so it's really interesting because I think a lot of people kind of look at the high cost of childcare for an individual family to bear and then also think about what their salary is. And they kind of think of that as a percentage of that. I know I did. I know I thought when we were talking about, should I stay home? Should I go back to work? It was like, okay, um, the, the Montessori daycare we had chosen was over 20 grand a year. And it was like, whoa, I make uh, $59,000 a year. It's like, so I'm giving this giant chunk of my paycheck um, in order for my, you know, future daughter, Margot to be, um, taken care of during the day. Um, but what I found, um, was this really interesting, um, calculator from the center for American progress. Um, they have a whole giant document all about the hidden costs of stopping a career to stay home because it's not just your salary. And then plus whatever you save in childcare, it's also, there's these kind of hidden costs, um, that you have your potential income because when you, of course, usually when you're in the workforce, you continue to get at least cost of living wages. Uh, I'm sorry, cost of living raises each year. Um, but it's also any contributions from your employer to your your retirement, you know, your 401k or you're in my case as a, I was a teacher. So I had a pension. 
Um, and then any like investments that you make with the money that you earn that you are no longer able to do. So the kind of rough calculator, it's not just your income over three years, um, which for me would be something like if you're just kind of thinking of it that way, um, say you left the workforce for three years until they went into preschool. Um, so you'd think if I, I made $59,000 last year as a Chicago public school teacher, so then uh, you'd think, oh, you're losing $177,000. Well, actually, with all those other factors taken into account, it's three times your, so you lose three times your annual salary for each year you're out. So for me, it's not $177,000. It's if I were to leave for three years, it's $531,000 that I lose over the cost of my lifetime. So, of course, that's not tomorrow. I'm not losing $500,000 tomorrow, but over the cost of my entire earning potential as a worker, that's how much I'm losing. So it's a giant hit to take. Um, but then conversely, as I'm sure you'll talk about in a second, childcare costs are so high for a family that some people feel like, well, I can't swing this on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, yeah. So what did you find about um, uh, childcare costs? So I found this great site, epi.org or the Economic Policy Institute. It's a great resource. You can go there and put your state into the website and it'll give you an estimate cost of what an annual cost for sending your child to daycare would be. So we live in Illinois and according to the Ep Economic Policy Institute, the average annual cost of infant care in Illinois is $13,802 or about $1,100 per month, give or take. And of course, this probably ranges on where you live and if you do a private daycare versus maybe a corporate or like large scale daycare, but that is huge. That is so much money, especially for, at least for us, I, you know, was making about $1,100, $1,200 every two weeks at my old job. So, you know, if I was still working there, you'd have to take into account, is that worth it? Is it worth uh, two weeks of my salary going to daycare every you know, every month. I don't know. I personally don't think it's worth it. Again, why I chose to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom. But for some people, it is worth it. And another thing on here I just thought was really interesting was this quote that said, infant care in Illinois costs just $168 less than in-state tuition for a four-year public college. That's crazy. $168 less. I, college is crazy in the United States, uh, or at least can be, and just to put it in that aspect that you're only paying $168 and you would be paying for your child to go to college for a year is crazy to me. It's just crazy. And just a quick note, if you hear any screaming or yelling or crying on my end, Charlie is downstairs with her father today. So please ignore. I'm so, so sorry. It's crazy. And you know what? It's just like, I hate to just like go in and start bashing the U.S. government. But uh, in that same article from the Center for American Progress, one of the things they pointed out was that the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services defines affordable child care as no more than 10% of household income. Um, 
And I found that same figure at another website where it's almost 14 grand for infant care. I found it at chalkbeat.org, which is a, a non-for-profit covering education policy. Um, and so they had that exact same figure. So I think that figure is pretty accurate for Illinois. And that is 52% of the median income for, for I'm sorry, that's for a single parent family and it's 15% for a couple. So if you're saying that affordable childcare, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is 10%, this is already 5% above that for a couple. And not everyone has the privilege of being a parent in a, in a dual income earning household. You may have maybe a single parent or you may be um, a single earner like we're talking about. And so that makes uh, you know, childcare costs, it's, it's, it's really not equitable. It's really not um, affordable for really any median family. You have to be a member of the upper class in order to be earning um, enough money to pay for childcare without, you know, sweating it. Right, right, right. And I do just want to point it out that I do know women who do send their children to daycare regularly, and they do still have their full-time job. And they knew going in after having kids that they love their career. This is a part of them. This is what they want to do. So it's not an issue to be spending X amount of money sending your child to daycare. We just happen to be talking from a stay-at-home mom aspect. And we are kind of talking about how crazy these costs can be because for some families, it is crazy. It is out of the question or... Um, a huge financial strain to send your child to daycare. It may be, it may not be. Every family is different, of course. But I think it's just a really interesting topic and something that, of course, every family has to look at and decide if this is doable. Is it doable that I can be using one of my paychecks to send our child to daycare or does it financially make more sense to keep them home? I'm not sure. Yeah, and I just think if you are considering taking this um this uh plunge to be a stay-at-home parent um you've got you've got to think about this stuff because it, it'll it'll also affect long term you know it's like so do i go back to work in three maybe five years do i stay a stay-at-home mom? and it's just all of these like big questions where it's like you know you feel like in order to be responsible we just hope that you know you're considering all these things um of course you know so what's the flip side of this so like what are the advantages of staying at home um what do you think what do you what are you loving why is it that you chose to stay at home so i thought a lot about that going into this podcast and i don't know if there's like one singular answer to that um when i was just started to date my husband um, I was in a place in my life and I was pretty stuck and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to go. And, uh, we were at a restaurant and he asked me, well, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to go back into the restaurant industry? Do you want to go back into baking? Do you want to go back into hospitality? What do you want to do? You, you know, I have three degrees and I have, um, a pretty diverse, work history. And it was just kind of deciding like, what direction do I want to go? And I sat there and I thought, and I just said, I want to be a mom. I always envisioned in my brain that I would have kids by 28 and I would have this life of, you know, being a stay at home mom and I would be there with them and I would be there through all the milestones, the walking, the talking, the um, growing the personality and teaching them and guiding them 
through all of these things and being very involved. And I just think it's funny that even at, I think I was 28 at the time, um, I knew that's what I wanted to be. I knew that I didn't have a long-term goal of being, you know, a pastry chef or an exec chef or owning a restaurant anymore. That wasn't my goal at one point, but I realized that family was super important and I want to be home with my kids and I love it. I love it so much. She is my world. I light up every time I see her. She's crazy. She pushes my buttons, especially now. Um, but I wouldn't change it. I love it so much. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring up, it's like this, it's kind of this like trade-off with work and parenthood because I think any parent wants to see all those milestones. You know, it's not like working mothers are like, oh, I don't care if I see him walk. You know, I think that that's something, you know what I mean? I think that that's like a big thing that they they hope they're there and if they're not it's it sucks um and so i think we all want that as parents and i think it's this trade off of well what am i getting from my job and what am i giving up um like is what i'm getting out of my job whether that's economic or the sense of self and uh fulfillment in uh, in the public sector or the um or the you know just the public realm is that is holding on to that worth losing the chance of being there all the time with the kid, you know? And so it's like, it's this kind of, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, uh, you know, there was, there's this book, um, it's called, no, not that one. It's by Pamela Stone and it's called opting out question mark why women really quit careers and head home. And so that was published in 2007. And it was like dealing with this kind of idea where it's like, um, there's this kind of idea like, you know, women are true. Cause what, what ended up happening interestingly, I think is since the early nineties, actually more women in the United States have chosen to stay at home and to leave the workforce. And so it was this idea of like, women are opting out of the workforce and it's kind of this like, Hmm, what's going on? Are we losing our feminist values? Like, what does it mean to not be a career woman? Is it still feminist? All of these things, but it's like, it's not necessarily, that's why the book is called opting out question mark. Cause it's not necessarily that you're opting out. It's just like, the workforce, in, especially in this country, is so demanding. It's not just when you're at work. It's the labor that you do at home. It's the emails that you're getting on your phone that has only increased since this book was published in 2007. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's just worrying about work. Like I know as a teacher, like there were so many times where I'm like cooking dinner and just like worrying about my students and then staying up late to grade papers and then going back, you know, and getting up to arrive again. Um, sorry, I just dropped the mic there. Um, it's stacked variously on a stack of books because we're so low fi You know, this idea, we're not like, just like, huh, I'd rather be a stay-at-home mom all the time. It's like, what are you getting out of your job and is it worth it? And for me, it was like, I, there were things that I really liked about my job. It's really tied up in my identity to be an English teacher. I, I you know, I'm worried about what the future is going to be like when I don't have that. Um, but at the same time, there was so much anxiety and stress and, you know, um, being a public school teacher is a lot. Um, and it's rewarding at times, but it's also like, it's really demanding on you. 
Um, and so it was like, do I want to give up being there with my kid all the time for this job? And I think that's what it was for me, where it was like, no, not for this job. Maybe if it was, maybe if it was, maybe if I was happier in my job or I, I don't know, maybe if it was a different district, I don't know. But for me, it was like, not, not for this. I don't want to, when I think back on, when you think about what matters in life or what people tell you matters in life, you know, no one on their deathbed says, I wish I worked more. Um, but I do think those relationships that you build with your family is so important. And so for me, it was like, not for this job. Yeah, totally. And just a quick thought with it being 2020 and in Illinois, there's a lot of question going on about kids going back to school. Are we doing it remotely? Are we going back to school in person? So did the pandemic affect your decision at all to be a stay-at-home mom? Yeah, um, because it's interesting. So Chicago Public Schools up until yesterday, we're recording this on August 5th, had said we were going back with a partial learning plan. And so there's a lot that people don't know about newborns and the virus. You know, newborns and fevers generally is a really dangerous thing. Um, and no shade on Chicago Public Schools. Just kidding. Lots of shade. They don't clean those buildings well. Um, they don't. Uh, you know, back when the pandemic was happening, they they promised us, you know, if you'll recall, uh, it was really kind of ramping up in the public consciousness in March. I think March 16th was our last day of school. And before that, before they were closing the schools, they said, guys, don't worry, we'll have you all hand sanitizer in May. In May. Okay. So we have to wait March and April and God knows when in May to finally get some hand sanitizer. Like there's just like such a lack of resources and coordination and all of these things where it's like, I don't necessarily trust those buildings. But as of yesterday, they said that they're going all remote. Um, so it's definitely, they've, they've moved toward that model. I think a lot of states are moving toward that model. Um, that, that is a citywide decision though, not a statewide decision. Um, so I don't, uh, yeah. Does that affect my decision? Yes. Cause I was like, I don't want to go back there, um, and maybe get my kids sick. And I know that a lot of pregnant women feel that way. And I know a lot of, um, teachers who maybe live with an elderly parent or have a, ha or have their own underlying condition. There's a concern that people are going to leave the Chicago public schools in droves or schooling in general, because it's just, it's a lot of kids. They're not great at washing their hands. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a dangerous environment. Right. And just putting it out there, if you want to hear more about what it's like to be pregnant during this worldwide pandemic or what it was like to give birth during this pandemic or, you know, what it's like to raise children during this pandemic, we're happy to have this conversation and we'll try our hardest to stay on topic and not get off topic like we tend to do. I know. It's hard not to. I think we're going to, don't we have that plan to do an episode on parenting and COVID? Yep, we do. Yeah. So listen and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay. So we briefly talked about it when you brought up the book, Opting Out. But I have a question for you. Do you feel that making this decision to become a stay-at-home mom, you are becoming less of a feminist because Liz and I are both feminists and it is a very interesting dynamic and concern and worry 
I think, that's placed on women that making this decision to be a stay-at-home mom and quote-unquote going back to the old ways um, makes you less of a feminist. So what are you feeling? Are you feeling concerned? Are you feeling worried? I know I kind of had some guilt and oddly enough anxiety about being perceived as less of a feminist because, you know, I am choosing to be a stay-at-home mom and choosing to cook dinner every night and take over laundry and take over childcare and do all these things that are quote-unquote not feminist. So what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Oh my God, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm just so worried that here's something. Okay. I don't know. Maybe five years ago, I went to, uh, let me just say this. I completely believe that whatever you choose to do is a feminist act, right? Uh, being forced into doing something is, um, right, a kind of not feminist thing or a society in which you're kind of foreclosed and you don't get to choose work or career. That's something that's not feminist. Saying I want to stay at home is a feminist act and then doing it. That's a feminist act. I, I believe that. Um, but what I was going to, the story I was going to tell was I was five years ago, I went out with some coworkers. We went and saw a play. And um, one of the coworkers friends came and she was a stay at home mother of three. And I don't know, I, I was nervous. It was my first outing with coworkers at my like big girl job. And um, I was like 27 years old. And, um, you know, she told me she was a stay at home mom. And I said, are you bored? Which I still feel guilt about saying that still. I, I, it's been five or six years. I still feel like an asshole for suggesting that someone who stays home with three children under the age of five is bored. And I, I hate myself. I think about it. And I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? That's not boring. That is constant work. And you know that. The second it came out of my mouth, I was like, what are you saying to this woman? You, you sound like a non-feminist idiot who's judging her for staying home, which I don't. But it's just like, I think it was just this impulse of like thinking if you don't have a career, ergo, you must be bored or you must not be stimulated. So it's like, I think there's an idea out there, even me who actively like, I don't agree with that. I still said that stupid thing. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that I worry about telling my coworkers because I haven't told them yet. Uh, it's like, I, I, I just, uh, I worry that they're going to, one, not be my friends anymore, but two, um, you know, think that like, I'm like, oh, I never would have thought Liz, who's always rattling, rambling on about feminism would leave her job. I, there's this idea that it's, it's not feminist to be in the private sphere, that to be feminist is to be in the public sphere. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of anxiety about it. I have a, it's this whole like identity crisis I'm having. I'm sorry. And I totally agree because there's a lot of shaming and a lot of guilt around that whole idea that you will be perceived differently. And there are people that I know I personally didn't want to tell. And I can only imagine that you don't want to tell. Like you said, you don't want to tell your friends because you're worried that they're no longer going to be your friends, which is insane. It's insane the way that stay-at-home moms can be perceived in this country and at this time. I mean, you're not going to become any less of a feminist by being a stay-at-home mom, nor am I, but unfortunately, that's how I can be seen, and that's so sad, and it really kind of sucks. And I agree. It is a huge feminist statement to say, I am choosing to take myself out of the workforce, and I'm going to stay home with my kids, and I'm going to raise my kids. And 
it just it's the stigma's really got to change. I have we have um a plan to talk about mom shaming and toxic internet um atmosphere and things like that at another time. So I'm not going to ramble on that. However, I did find an article by Forbes kind of changing the topic a little bit. Um, that was titled more millennial women are becoming stay-at-home moms and here's why and we kind of touched on everything that the article brought up but I just thought it was interesting that one thing that a lot of women are doing now are creating side hustles or you know opening an Etsy store having a part-time job and a lot of times it's through a hobby or it's through something that they're passionate about um and they're preserving that part of themselves or preserving a self of identity outside of being a stay-at-home mom. And I think that's really interesting and I think it's really important. Um, I think it's super easy to just, I don't want to say crumble, but almost just become a stay-at-home mom and everyone asks, you know, how are you doing? And you just say, oh, you know, I'm good. I'm just being a mom, you know, everything that has to do with that. And you kind of lose the other aspects of yourself. And that's kind of scary. And it's kind of alarming. It's alarming to me, at least. I don't want to lose my identity um, to just being a stay-at-home mom. I'm not saying that I'm just a stay-at-home mom. There are plenty of other uh, parts of me and part of my identity. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to make this podcast was to talk about these kind of feelings and things that I feel like all mothers and all stay-at-home mothers may run into or may be feeling at this time. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. So let's go back to your decision to be a stay-at-home mom. So tell me about what it was like telling your husband that you wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, I think at first my husband wasn't into it because he was worried about money. Um, But, um, you know, who was actually a big advocate for changing his mind was his mother. and, uh, you know, she, she was supportive of the idea. She, she thought it, it was, she's one of these people I think that is a little old school and thinks a parent being at home is best. Um, my aunt who was a working mother of three was not into it. I could tell she didn't say she wasn't into it, but she said, Oh, <laughs> and so I think a lot of it has to do with um, you know, just projecting your own experience. It's just a general kind of like the way I did it was the best way. Um, my, my other aunt, I talked to about it. She was a nurse for her first three kids and her fourth daughter, she stayed home. And so, you know, we were talking about it and she was kind of against it. But then she said, you know what though, that daughter is the most confident, capable and successful of my kids, which again, this is you know, and that's anecdotal, you know, there's nothing to say that they're, they're really, I I've done a little research, but there's not much research to suggest that like with older kids necessarily staying at home is going to like change everything. And they're going to, you know, it's like, it's kind of, it's really a mixed bag. It's mixed results. It's just so many factors that determine what makes someone quote unquote successful. But so I think that she kind of came around on it. My mom is the kind of mom where it's like, she doesn't want to dictate what I'm doing in any way. So she was just like supportive of both. I was like, tell me what to do. 
And she was like, I want you to do what makes you happy. You know, she just like refuses to like dictate my life, which she's always been that way. So, you know, it's just, it's a mixed bag, I think. What did you, um, did you get pushback? You know, I can't remember. I want to say no. Um, I think I had some guilt about not going back to work because um, I didn't tell anybody I wasn't going back to work. And so that was huge for me. But as far as like family and friends and things like that, I don't think I had pushback or I don't think I had any kind of negative, oh, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom. Oh my God. Like I think everyone was pretty much supportive. I remember telling Michael's family, my husband's family, and they were really supportive. Um, I remember his aunt telling me a story that she decided that when her kids came, she decided to stay home. And then, you know, she did that for X amount of years. And then once they were older and able to take care of themselves, she went back into the workforce and she had a, you know, she's still in the workforce and she had a career after having kids. And I think that's something a lot of people don't think about. They just make the decision, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom and that's what I'm going to do. But realistically, a lot of the times when kids get older, you do decide to go back into the workforce. And I haven't really thought about that much. I haven't decided if that's something I'm going to do. I can only assume once Charlie and maybe if we have a second uh, come, we are, or I am going to go back to work. I, I assume so. I haven't thought about that quite honestly. But yeah, there's a lot that goes into the decision to go down to one income. And, you know, I had to talk with my husband and we had to decide that, you know, maybe we don't get that new car that we want right now, or maybe we don't go on as many family vacations as we thought we were going to. You know, I try to shop pretty um, smartly, I guess. Like, you know, I'll go to places that I think I could get groceries for cheaper, like Aldi's my jam. But um, it was a hard decision, kind of. I mean, financially, not emotionally. Um, you know, my husband and I have never taken a honeymoon, which is kind of crazy to say out loud. I don't know when we're going to take a honeymoon, quite honestly, um, especially with COVID going on. Jeez. But and by the way, the honeymoon thing, that wasn't a stay at home mom decision thing. There was just a lot going on around the time that we got married. So we decided that it wasn't the time. And then shortly after the wedding, I got pregnant with Charlie and I realized I did not want to be pregnant on a honeymoon. No, thank you. So yeah. I was just going to ask, did you, when did you tell your employer? Did you tell them when you were already on maternity leave? Cause I'm in this weird position where I'm on summer break during my maternity leave, which is this like huge get for my employer where they don't have to pay me maternity leave. It's so equitable and wonderful. Um, but yeah, I'm like, like technically I'd be starting my maternity leave right tomorrow when I get induced, but, um, I don't, I'm on summer break, so I'm on vacation. So they just, it doesn't matter. When did you tell your employer that you were leaving? Well, I ended up telling my boss I wasn't coming back um, a couple weeks before my maternity leave was up. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. We moved about an hour and a half north of where my job was. So you know, I had to keep weighing it back and forth. Like, is it worth it for me to go back to my job? Like the drive itself, you know, that's three hours in the car every single day. And, um, you know, is it worth it? And of course, the other thing is in my brain, I was like, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. So like, 
I don't think going back is the best option for me. And I called my boss and I told him and it was literally the best conversation I've ever had. Like it was so, it went so much better than of course my crazy anxiety brain thought. Um, he was great. He just kind of said, you know, if you ever need a letter of recommendation, please let me know. Thank you for everything you've done here. You know, we're going to miss you. And if you ever want to come back, you're welcome to come back. And oh my God, it was such a weight lifted from my shoulders. I was terrified. And I remember running across the street. I live across the street from my parents. And I told my dad and I was like, oh my God, this, you know, it went so well. It went so well. And it was, I really, employers out there, that is like the best thing you can do for stay at home. I mean, people leaving on their jobs. I'm rambling. Anyway, um, are you nervous to tell your employer that you're not coming back? Yeah, I'm going to tell them soon. Uh, I'm hoping in the next two weeks, um, I'm going to, you know, maybe we'll talk about it. I plan to, you know, write a letter of resignation and call my boss and talk to her. But I hope it goes as well for me as it did for you, because it sounds like it worked out well for you. And I didn't even talk about the kids. The kids. <laughs> I feel so bad leaving some of my students. I have a student who's been regularly emailing me all summer with her poems to ask for feedback. And it's like, you know, every time I give it, it's like, I just feel, first of all, it's fun because she's a good writer. And so it's like, oh, I'm sad I'm going to be missing out on this. But then it's also just like, oh, my gosh, what? she'll find someone else. She'll find someone else. It's not my job to be the person for the whole world, but I don't know. It's so much guilt with these kids. Cause you know, I taught, I teach in a kind of weird place where we're seventh through 12th grade. And so this particular student I've had since she was an eighth grader and she's a senior this year. And so it's like, I've known this kid for five years, four years, you know, it's like, it's a long time. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Once I meet Margot tomorrow, I'm going to be like, who cares about those stinky kids? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if anyone's listening, I'm just kidding. No. Um, it, you know what, though? It is, you say that, but it's kind of true. Like, yeah. I, you know, uh, I only have one daughter. I only have one kid. So um, it's so much, there's so much unknown to be like, how am I going to embrace this role? Am I going to embrace this role? Uh, am I going to be home for two months and realize, oh my God, I made such a huge mistake mm-hmm. deciding that, I, you know, I'm not cut out for this, um, which is fine. You know, not everyone is cut out to be a stay-at-home mom and, or a stay-at-home parent. I shouldn't just say stay-at-home mom because dad stay home too. Um, but it, I don't know, you meet that little person and mm-hmm. it just, it changes a lot yeah. and it's great. I don't know. I'm smiling yeah. over here cause I'm just thinking about it, but like, it's been one of the hardest years of my life. Um, and we'll, we can talk about that at any point, but it's been amazing. Like she's my world. She's my whole world. and. Nothing makes me happier than, you know, when I get up in the morning and she's talking now. Oh, let me rephrase. She's saying mama, dada, some weird word for kitty. 
<laughs> um, What's the kitty work sound like? I, it's like, I don't even know, but it's the same noise every time. <laughs> so she's consistently associating a noise with a thing. Right. Sign and signifiers there. Correct. Good. So it is <laughs> some way of communicating that that's a cat. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that, you know, like Baba and random things, you know, mm-hmm. but like hearing her wake up, you know, my husband and I, which tomorrow he's going, or tonight, tonight he's going tonight. So the routine is about to just change completely. But, you know, we had a routine that he would wake up or we'd both wake up when she woke up. He would go get her, change her diaper. And then we'd go downstairs. I'd get the bottle going. And then, you know, we'd cuddle. We'd have our bottle. And then we kind of have our morning. And just like having her come downstairs and see me with this big smile on her face and being like, mama, mama, mama. Like, oh, my God. It just, uh, it makes me so happy. Like, I just. I don't know. I, it's hard. It's hard. It's frustrating being a stay-at-home mom. We can talk about that. I feel like we should give you like a few months and retouch on this topic and be like, is it what you imagined? What are your struggles? What are your triumphs? You know, like, where are you? Um, so we'll talk about more then, but like, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, there, again, there's, this pandemic going on. So I don't feel comfortable going back into the war force for that. But in general, like I have zero, zero desire to get into the workforce right now. Like, you know, and I do, I put a time limit on it. I'm not sure. You know, do you have a time limit? Do you think I'm, you know, I'm going to do this for 18 months or three years or have you thought about that at all? Definitely. I mean, and I think that a lot of that is how this is going to go. Like, how much do I like doing this? Maybe, maybe I, maybe I won't like it. Maybe I'll be one of these people that's like, you know, I really need a break. I need to talk to some adults. Uh, I don't, I don't know. So I figure I see how it goes. And I don't know, maybe I'll, um, you know, consider taking some online classes or something, maybe do a career shift. Because as I've said, while there's lots of rewarding things about being a teacher, there's lots of drawbacks too. Um, and so maybe I'll think about getting some job training for a kind of career sidestep or I don't know. So maybe I'll, I don't know. I don't know how a mom on that mom blog was getting her PhD while she was raising her kid. That's, whoo, that is a challenge. And from what I remember, I don't think this was her first child. Because this is a mom group that I just found. It was on Facebook. And a friend of mine said, find a community. It'll really help. So I just went on Facebook and I typed in July 2019 mom group, like for when my daughter would have been due. And yeah, and um, there was one and I joined it and it's women all over the world. And some are first time moms. Some have three, four, you know, kids, whatever. and. From what I remember, I don't think this woman was a first-time mom. Like, I think she had kids and was working on her PhD. Like, God bless. It's really impressive. Because, yeah, and, and you know, again, not to, like, make this about COVID, but just to say one thing, I think that right now most people uh, are doing childcare and work simultaneously um, because 
well, not most people, but people who are lucky enough to be able to work from home. Um, and disproportionately, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but I didn't um, pull up research on this. But I know that I've read multiple times that, um, you know, disproportionately that labor is falling on women. Um, and, 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 you know, we know this. We know we live in a sexist society where the women are the caretakers disproportionately. That's why we keep saying stay at home moms, even though we're well aware there are stay at home fathers. There are stay at home parents is really more accurate um, to, to encompass everyone. But the statistical majority is that if there is a, a, a parent that the caretaking responsibilities fall on, that the roles of the domestic sphere generally, cleaning, cooking, fall on, uh, it is women still. Um, and of course we've gotten better. Uh, you know, I know like, you know, my husband and I, before we started this stay at home kind of journey, we had a clear division of whose responsibilities were whose. And, um, you know, we worked at that actively because, you know, I'm, I'm well aware that it, it falls on women. Um, so yeah, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent, but, uh, uh, working simultaneously with raising children is a huge ask and it's a giant thing. And, but yeah, I think increasingly it's, it's becoming a reality of a lot of people. So, so maybe I could do something. I don't know. Something from home. I don't know. I don't know. Right. And I mean, that's great that you and your husband have that division of labor because it's only going to happen more, you know, once she gets here, there's going to be a huge division of labor, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, but yeah, that just reminds me of the Forbes article that we just talked about earlier and, you know, not losing your uh, sense of self and not losing your identity and finding a side hustle or finding a hobby or finding something that um, keeps you fulfilled and keeps you feeling whole because that's super important um, when you decide to get out of the workforce. You don't think it's as big of a thing as it is because... You know, you're talking to people daily and you're doing something out of your house that is a part of you and then you completely lose that and it it's hard. It can be really hard to lose that part of you. So yeah, finding some some kind of something, something on the side, whether it be financially, you know, something that you'll make money off of or something that you're just doing for you is super important. But uh Anyway, so what else have you found? Well, there was something that I found that was kind of interesting. It was this Norwegian study. Um, so, of course, in Norway, they have much more progressive policies than in the United States. Um, and so they, for instance, like something that's kind of interesting, you know, I, I mentioned earlier this idea of um, or this, this statistical fact that more women today are at home than they were in 1990. And a lot of that has correlated um, with rising childcare costs. So uh, childcare costs go up, more women choose to stay home. It's not really a surprise. It's kind of a clear economic correlation. Um, but in Norway, in uh, this is a little outdated, but I think it's still illustrative. In 1998, so first of all, in Norway, there's government subsidized childcare. You can you you can send your kids to early childhood education um, right away. Uh, most jobs also give a full forty two weeks of uh, paid leave. You can take you can take fifty two weeks if you want. Um, 
Uh, but then it's like 80% pay for the last 10 weeks. It's like, I, I got six. Um, but, you know, in Norway, they're like, it makes sense for a parent to be at home for a year, for the first year. Um, and then also, I'm, I, I, I've, I'd like to double check this, but I think that there's also the same extension afforded to paternity leave. And so you can switch off. Um, and so you can be there for the first two years of your kid's life, one parent. Um, but then they offer subsidized childcare, early childhood for like three-year-olds. Um, but what they did in 1998, um, which created the conditions for an interesting study, what they did in 1998 as a country was say, okay, some people want to not send their kids to childcare. They want to stay home with their kids longer. Let's give them that option. And so it wasn't just subsidized childcare, they were paying families um, to stay home, giving you a subsidy. So that money that would have gone to a, a daycare is going in your pocket, which is something that I think is amazing and something that we should be doing here for so many reasons. Um, not only that the cost of you know, uh, childcare is so high for the individual, but so low for the person earning it. I mean, it's wild. Um, but, uh, what, what that found, um, so then they studied that and they, the researchers said, okay, so I want to know what the effect then is on the older siblings, because there's not a lot of research. There's a, there's a pretty good amount of research that it's pretty, it's pretty positive for a parent to be at home with the kids in the really early um, this is not to say that you're a bad parent, of course, if, if that doesn't work for you or if you use a grandparent or if you use a nanny or childcare, of course, but there's some evidence that suggests that that's pretty good, but there's not a lot about once the kids are older. Um, and so what they found with the study was that um, they looked at siblings that were 10th graders. So they isolated the population in Norway to parents who took advantage of the stay at home and looked at the older siblings in 10th grade. And there was um, a discernible statistical positive effect on their GPA, which I thought was interesting. So it's like this question of like, do you stay home long term um, if you can financially afford it, which we all know it's very expensive to do. Um, it seems there's a discernible effect in um, education uh, for, your, for the kids once they get older. Um, yes. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, super interesting and honestly almost a little disheartening because I don't think something like that would ever happen here in the United States. Like um, the idea of paying a family or paying parents to stay home with their child, I mean, so many more people would do it and you have to wonder if it would be helping children or hurting children. I mean, you don't really know. There, you mentioned the study, and it seems like there's positive effects to it. It's just, I feel like that's something that would never happen here, which is really disheartening. Oh, let's have hope. I don't know. People are realizing firsthand how much work being a caregiver full-time is because they're being forced to be at home and they're forced to do it. And so I just, I have this pathetic hope that we use this moment to create more um, progressive policies. We will probably never be Norway. It's scary. At least like some subsidies for early childcare education does feel feasible. That, you know, cause it's like, right. And that's the other thing that I, I wanted to talk about where it's like, 
that amount of money, you know, uh, that average number of almost being 14 grand, if you choose to employ a nanny, um, did you do any, did you find anything on nanny pay? Unfortunately, I did not. I totally forgot. No, you know, I, I found some. It was I don't know how I, I cross-referenced it with a few other websites and they seem to be pretty consistent. It was this website called Career Explorer that basically kind of took median averages by state. And so we're in Illinois, so I was looking at Illinois nanny salaries. But um the top level nannies, so the ones that have references and credentials, often either ch- early childhood degrees or um um, psychology degrees, they're making $31,000 a year. That's the top 90th percentile. Um, but the median salary in Illinois for a nanny is $24,000 a year, which is nothing. Like it's a lot of money for you to pay as a family, but that's nothing for a full-time job that's as challenging as raising a child and important as raising a child. And so it's like, the people who are caregivers in this country, they're doing essential work um, that is is going, uh, frankly, barely compensated. Uh, and it's it's really problematic. And just like, I don't know, to sidestep a little and kind of bring these ideas together of like why I chose to stay at home and like these economic realities for caregiving pay. I just, I refuse, and this idea of feminism, I I just, I refuse to believe that feminism is me going out in the workforce and making more money so I can pay usually another woman, excuse my language, shit wages to raise my kid for me. How is that feminism? I, I don't know. I just, I think that that entire narrative that that's what equals feminism is really constricting and really, um, an issue of class. Um, where it's like, okay, I can afford to go make some more money and you, I'm, you know, I'm not, (laughs) you don't get paid so well. Um, and so if you had something like government subsidies to, uh, supplement that pay that a family pays to a nanny or to make the wages at childcare centers higher, I mean, at childcare centers, the average earning is that was in that same article I was talking about in the beginning. Yeah. The average hourly wage of a childcare worker, this is from that. um, um, Oh, this is from a a report called worthy work, still unlivable wages, the early childhood workforce, 25 years after the national child care staffing study. Um, The average mean hourly wage of an early childcare worker in 2012 was 1570 an hour. 1570. So that's what people are getting paid in daycare centers, uh, whether they're and that's 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 the mean hourly wage, it's, you know, and like the highest end was like $18 an hour. Um, so that's not a lot of money. It's really not a lot of money. It's not enough to be buying a house and saving and doing all of these things that like we characterize as upper middle class or even middle class or being able to find a sense of stability in an American economy that's not what we're giving to our childcare workers. And so it's like, that was frankly another factor where it's like, I just, I'm paying someone shit wages to do a job I want to do so I can make a little bit more money. How is that feminism? It just seems like, you know, the trampling trot of capitalism to me. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) what was your plan? You mentioned Montessori, but um, yeah, like we've mentioned, I I didn't look into it. I didn't completely um, rule out 
daycare or childcare, I honestly just didn't look into it because if anything, I felt that my parents probably would have taken over a lot of the babysitting and a lot of the um, childcare for us because we do live across the street from them. And I've never asked them. I would assume that this would have been at no cost, but I don't know that for sure. So, you know, in that case, it wouldn't have been a financial burden for us. And going back to work would have been, you know, purely money in the pocket, pretty much. But I didn't know if that's something I even would want to put on them. You know, they're retired. They worked all their lives. So like, why do I want to put more or less another job on them? It's asking a lot. And, you know, there's the saying, the labor of love, and they would have done it because they love Charlie and they love their grandchildren and they want to be part of, you know, their grandchildren's life. So I know they would have done it. I know it was never a question. It's just, do I want to put that kind of strain on my family and on, you know, my relationship with my parents and what if something happened and, you know, what if, uh, it put kind of a sour taste on our mouth and we didn't have this great relationship that we do have now. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think you brought up so many interesting points because it's like, uh, first of all, I just, that phrase is one of my favorite, favorite phrases to unpack the, the labor of love phrase, where it's like, this is only the kind of phrase that is applied to women's work. The idea that we are all acknowledging it's labor, but it's not labor that is worth compensation because you must just love doing it so much. That's how we, that kind of rhetoric is how we get away with paying caregivers, uh, such terrible wages, but yeah, when it's family members, the assumption, right, is free. Um, but which also comes up with this set of problems where it's like, well, what if your mom is sick one day? Or what if your mom wants to go out with her friends? Or what if your, your dad is going out of town? Like that then presents this whole other set of problems where it's like, if you have, you know, childcare in a daycare center or something, um, it's pretty reliable barring covid of course but it's if 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 a worker is sick there's a there's a system set in place for substitutes to come in right um you don't have to worry about that but if you rely on a family member there's this level of am i taking advantage i'm doing this for i'm getting this for free um so if they decide they want a day off i kind of got to give it to them and then what do i do about my job um, and so that has its own set of issues that aren't necessarily economic, but relational, where it's like, you don't want to mess up your relationship with your parents. And like, obviously, there is some truth to the labor of love. And I'm sure there's many grandparent full-time caregivers that really love it. My mom has always not been into it. Um, I'm not kidding you from like when I was basically had my period and was able to reproduce. My mom was like, you know, I'm not going to watch your kids for you. Right. Like I did that already. And I think maybe people will think my mom's an asshole, but I respect that. That's her. It's her life. She never wanted to do that in her uh, older age. And this is maybe something we'll talk about uh, later in the podcast, but my my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she my sister is um an adult with autism and so her job has never really ended um so i i you know she lives with my parents and she relies on my parents for 
almost everything. And so it's, 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 a it's still, a, my mom's still a stay at home mom. And, um, you know, so asking her to now also raise her granddaughter is just, it's, it's not fair to ask her to do that. And I, I wasn't going to, um, and that's, that's, that's just what, where we're coming from. You guys were thinking Montessori daycare, right? Yeah. You know, we, we applied, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't as like crazy as I thought it would be. I thought, you know, you hear these horror stories about like urban dwelling, um, Montessori application processes, but, uh, you know, we're kind of on the outskirts of the city. So I think maybe it wasn't as, um, competitive as a more, um, bougie neighborhood, but, um, yeah, so I was, my plan was Montessori because it was close. Um, it was accredited. Um, it had good parent reviews. Um, and they took kids as young as three months old. Um, so yeah, that's, that was the plan. Um, until I decided against pursuing that option. Yeah. Right. And Montessori always, um, intrigued me. I think the idea behind it is really interesting and I'm trying to read more about it. So I'm not even going to try to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. But, um, one thing that it does make me think about is, um, with everything going on, I had this idea that, you know, Charlie and I would be in mommy and me classes and swim classes and, uh, all these different things and building her social skills. So I do really wonder if, she is missing things at this age that I can't provide to her. You know, if it's not me, if it's my husband, if it's not my husband, it's my parents, it's my mom or my dad. So, um, you know, are we equipped to be giving her all the knowledge she needs right now? No. Um, and you know, you can read about it all you want, but there is kind of the wonder of like, am I, is it a detriment to my child that she is staying home with me? And especially now with COVID, like there's really nothing that we can do. We can't, we can just start going to parks now, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I think that's a real concern. I think, uh, and I'm sure our listeners, the the hordes of them will have uh, a lot of opinions about this. I, I came across some, you know, kind of a toxic Quora question message board that, you know, said something about like, you know, what are your opinions on stay at home moms? You know, it's like a loaded question. That's like asking everyone to start lobbing insults. And, uh, what one woman said was, um, you know, I don't have a negative opinion of stay at home moms as long as they are, uh, not just, taking care of the house and taking care of the kid. They also have to be providing quality education. She just went on this whole rant about like what it is to be um, providing all of those things for your child and like all of these, you know, like prescriptive things that you have to do. And um, I was like, oh my God, first of all, you're being so toxic and violent. Why am I even reading this? Um, but I, yeah, I, I do think it speaks to this like, and but how do you even know? How do you even know? It's like you're you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Um, and during COVID, where it's like, you know, Charlie was like in these little swim classes that you'd send me videos of all the time. And she, I think every parent is worrying about this now, where it's like young children are not having interaction with other people like they did. So much of learning at that age is social. Um and what are the long-term effects of the only time you go out in public, you don't even see people's noses and mouths. 
um, what does that do for your own ability to read facial expression, et cetera, which is, um, as far as I understand it, one of the key things that's developing at that age. <laughs> you're like, you're saying this and I can feel my face drop because that's something I never even thought of because, yeah, I mean, she never leaves the house. She, I don't take her grocery shopping. I don't, and my, yeah, and my outings are grocery shopping. So, you know, she doesn't really interact with anybody, but if she did, you're right. Like, you know, children two and older have to wear masks and you're right. They'd be interacting with each other and having zero idea what's happening under that. Are they smiling? Are they not? What, you know, what is this activity or this voice or this noise or whatever with this facial cue that they're not getting? And adults too are are wearing them. So like, even when you're looking, even if you're looking at your teacher, you know, you're not getting the facial cue um, if, if you are going back to school or even if you're doing remote learning on a, on a Zoom call. Well, no, right. That would be irrelevant because you'd have it. Well, but even the remote learning, because we talk, you know, I was thinking about that as well. It's just, you know, she again, she's one. She's just turned one and she has interaction on FaceTime regularly. My husband calls her on FaceTime while he's at work and she gets it and she sees these people through FaceTime and it's like, what am I building? I, I, I don't, I'm very curious to see what children coming out of this era and out of this pandemic are going to be like in five years, 10 years, you know, cause we're already so enveloped and dependent on technology. And, um, you know, there's so many studies out there that social cues and social interaction is decreasing in children because they're not having that one-on-one experience as much anymore as, you know, for instance, we did when we were kids. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know why this is just like fireworks going up in my brain right now, but I'm just really curious to see what kids are going to be like in five years, 10 years, 15 years. What, what is this going to be? And the hope is that we get a vaccine uh, in the coming year and um, we're able to manufacture it at a level that enough people can start going back. And hopefully this is a blip and it just doesn't, I mean, there's nothing we can do really. I wonder if though there is like, cause yes, you're right. It's like technology. I, I can recall a study that I've seen about language acquisition and technology. So it's like, just a brief gloss on the study. I don't have the name of it in front of me, but little kids um, can learn a language um, if they're in the room with a person. But if you put the person through a digital medium, like a FaceTime or something like that, and try and teach them the language with the same techniques, the kids don't learn the language. So the divider of the screen really is relevant. Uh, it absolutely is. You don't learn the language. It's the same procedure of how to teach them um, this foreign language, but they don't learn it when you're not in the room with them physically. So there's something very social about learning and proximity and space with a person. Um, and maybe I can find that and put that in the show notes what the study is. But um, yeah, uh, to su- in a time where that's not possible, you wonder if there are programs popping up for one-year-olds, two-year-olds that are some sort of approximation at development um, where they can be seeing more facial expressions or whatever it is, I wonder. Yeah, if anyone knows of anything, please let us know and we'll share. But 
I haven't put a lot of time into looking. You know, there's online mommy me classes or activities like story time and everything, but I still, I mean, my daughter wouldn't sit through it. Not, not, no way. If I put a screen up of someone reading a book, no way would she sit there. No way. And the whole point of these mommy me classes or these daycare experiences or really any experience with any child outside of the house is to have actual physical interaction. And uh, that's something we're totally lacking in COVID and in turn being a stay-at-home mom because she's not in daycare and she's not doing anything. So we totally got off on a total tangent, but yeah, just all interesting things that fall into the realm of what it's like to uh, be a stay-at-home mom and in turn have a child who is at home all day with a stay-at-home mom. You know, it we're, we're very much talking from our perspective, but there's a lot that you have to consider about the child and is is your child getting enough? And the anxiety of that. Uh, exactly. That could be mommy guilt right there. Is my child getting enough? I don't know. And then it's like, it's like almost like you get to outsource that anxiety if you do pay for um, childcare, where it's like you can you can be like this person has credentials, there was good reviews, okay? I don't need to worry about it. Um, but yeah, you take on that anxiety of not only being a full time worker. There was a like you were talking earlier about like compensation, like what we should get compensated considering the hours that we work. Um, there was a study, I, I mean, it was by Welch's, like the jelly company. They, they did like a kind of survey of 2000 American mothers and, and figured that they clock in, uh, 98 hours a week. Uh, so that's more, that's, that's two and a half full-time jobs is what that is. Um, but so not only are you on the clock two and a half hour or two and a half times the amount, um, that a full-time worker would be, um, you also have this like there's there's a lot of intellectual burden about what that looks like and how you're spending your day. I mean, not every stay at home mom has a degree in early childhood education. I'm an educator, but I don't even have a degree in early childhood education. I know some things through my studies, but, you know, I, I'm a high school teacher primarily. So, you know, I yeah, I have a lot of anxiety about what should I be reading? What should they be reading? What should we be doing? What does that look like? And you take that on in addition to all of the labor that you're doing, like as if you're not tired enough from clocking in that much. Now you have like you fall asleep just to being like worried that should I be doing this? Yeah, I'm just nodding. I'm sorry. I, we have no video, so, but I am nodding away because it's it's very true. It's a lot of, you know, um, are the toys I'm putting in front of her educational enough? Are they age appropriate? You know, I use screen time because I need a break. Let's be real. And Sesame Street is her favorite thing. And I'm okay with Sesame Street because I feel like there's some educational aspects in there. You know, there's letters, there's colors, there's things like that. But, you know, is it too much screen time? I don't know. Is it, you know, and you can't, we're in a society right now that you cannot ask those questions because you are going to get so much hate. To say, oh, you give your child screen time? Oh, no, 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 no. Or, you know, it, it's uh, it's crippling. It's kind of lonely and sad to say, I can't reach out and ask these questions or wonder these things because you're going to get a bunch of women who are like, no, you're not doing enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Like that, there's a lot of just unknown and it can feel 
overwhelming and it can feel, it can feel just like a lot that you're just not, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. You know, I wanted to ask about that whole concept of, um, uh, you know, this kind of hatred between mothers and parenting styles and the so-called mommy wars. I wonder because uh, I, I, as you know, um, I'm not on social media because I'm a hermit weirdo and I I don't have Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. Um, and so I kind of insulate myself from that reality and that world um, because what I wanted to ask you about was just what you're saying. Like, is this is this hate? that moms give each other, is it real or is it perceived? I just, there was a, when I was researching for this episode, um, there's this book uh, that I found, it was published in 2005. So it's right at the advent really of Facebook. So it's definitely a different uh, landscape. There's no question about that. Um, but this author, Miriam Peskowitz, uh, her book is called The Truth Behind the Mommy Wars, Who Decides What Makes a Good Mother? And something that she argues is that it's something of a false binary that moms like hate on each other, that there's this like animosity between in particular professional working moms and stay at home moms. And that like in general, it's often a good media narrative. And so it's pushed a little bit. Um, but in reality, they're much more understanding of each other and willing to. And, and I found that a little bit like I was reading a, a blog from a lawyer, full time mom last night, and she had this whole paragraph on I won't judge you if you don't judge me. and I would never judge you anyway, even if you do want to judge me for being a working mom. And it was like all this anxiety about like how I'm going to be perceived and how I'm going to be judged. And it was like, I wasn't going to judge her at all for being a working mother. And and it's like, how much of this is really true? Um, and, you know, what's the effect of that? How much does that keep us distracted from, you know, actually pursuing, you know, real social change and getting, you know, childcare subsidies when we're all just like blaming each other for the choices that we've made being like, ah, well, why did you say, you know? So what I'm wondering is, do you, when you go on um, forums with other moms, whether they're stay-at-home moms or not, do you, do you think that that's real, this kind of hatred and jumping down each other's throat thing? Absolutely. That's an easy answer. Um, I two a couple of things. One, I'm only on Facebook and Instagram. I am not on Twitter. Twitter is to me hostile. I mean, I think anything can be hostile, but for some reason, I just feel like Twitter can get very hostile very quickly. Could be wrong. I'm not on it regularly. Um, but absolutely. Um, I think because you are now hiding behind your phone or your computer. There's no longer any real ramifications for anything that you say on social media. So it's very easy to see someone post something and it's not your belief as, you know, a mother. You don't believe in uh, screen time or you believe in feeding only organic or you believe in only breastfeeding or, you know, whatever your belief is. And yeah, I think a lot of women are very quick to just tear each other down and say, what are you doing? You're insane. Why aren't you breastfeeding until, you know, a year, year and a half? There's so many studies out that say X, Y, and Z, and this is why you're being a bad mom by giving your child formula. I, um, I'm not saying it's everywhere, and I'm not saying every mom does that, because I've also seen the flip side, and I've seen a lot of positive, and I've seen a lot of uh, women supporting each other. But 
Um, I think there are a lot of people out there who have very strong opinions and they will let you know and they will, I've had posts that I've posted um, that I've taken down because the response was just too polarizing and it, you know, it started to affect me in a way that was negative. And I was just thinking like, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need to hear why Carol in Arkansas thinks I should be doing this. I don't care, you know? Um, not to see, I'm already even preferencing myself because I remember now what I brought up, but, um, baby led weaning is a topic that for some reason I got so much hate on weaning off of a bottle. Is that no. So the idea of baby led weaning, I, as far as I understand, I could be incorrect, but it's a type of introducing your baby to solids. So, um, you can do kind of like a traditional quote unquote way of doing it where it's like purees and you go by color. So you do, you know, all the green colors and then you do all the orange foods and then all the red foods. And, you know, you're checking for different types of allergies or reactions or likes or dislikes or, blah, you know, whatever. So there's like a general idea of like how it used to be that, that you know, you introduced your child to these kind of purees and you would thicken the purees. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, Baby led weaning became very popular, I would say, in the past couple years, five, ten years. Um, again, I could be incorrect, but that it's more or less giving your child what you're eating. So if you're having, um, you know, we'll just say tacos. If you're having tacos, you would provide your child with a taco that would be acceptable for them or able for them to eat. So, you know, things would be portioned correct and it's all about strips. So it's like the grasping aspect and a lot about um, how they pick things up and coordination and there's a lot into it. Anyway, um, I wasn't about to do that. I was just very much into the like, we're going to do purees. Like, yeah, why not? You know, let's just try purees. And she was having some pushback with certain things. And I just commented and I just said, you know, my daughter's having this problem and this problem with this puree or that puree or, you know, whatever. So did it, has anyone ever experienced this? What did you do? What did you do to get through this? And I think it was a texture thing. I honestly don't even remember. It was so long ago. And I got so many comments about, well, you do baby led weaning. You should do baby led weaning. You should do baby led weaning. Have you read about baby led weaning? It's really interesting. You should do baby led weaning. And I responded and I said, you know, um, thank you. I've done a little research. That's not what is going to happen with my family. Um, that's not what I chose to do with my daughter. Um, do you have any advice about this puree that I brought up? You know, whatever. And nope, it was, well, you're crazy. You're being a bad mom. Baby led weaning is so much better for their development. And um, there's all these things and all these studies about how baby led weaning is better than this and that. And that. it got to be so overwhelming that I was just like, delete, I'm done, stepping away. I just had a question about, has anyone had a textural problem with bananas? And I do think that that is just to like, kind of maybe clarify what we hope to do with this podcast, where it's like, we really do want to be having like civil and research discussions. You know, it's like this, this, this idea of not supporting each other or just kind of speaking off the cuff and behind the anonymity of, you know, your, um, you know, your, your Facebook handle, you can tell I use these things because I use the word handle, which I'm sure is appropriate. Um, you know, uh, having, we want to be a place to have a, a, a civil discussion. 
um, because I think that there there isn't enough of that in in our contemporary landscape. I, I agree. I think you can can dash off whatever you want. You type all angry in the moment. You hit send and. It ends up with people coming away feeling alienated, feeling like, okay, well, I wanted help. I made myself vulnerable and then I got shamed. You know, this isn't productive. Um, And the fact of the matter is that, as we all know, often, you know, things change and baby led weaning, we may find out from another study is awful, you know? So it's just, we don't, you know, you're just doing the best that you can, I think. And I think that that's, that's. That's the takeaway probably of this whole thing is do the best you can. Yeah, like do the best you can. Yeah. It's, I think it's very real. And I think it's something that I think some women are working on and not um, feeding into the fuel and trying to be that type of mom on social media. But I think it's very real and I think it's very toxic and we should really just be kind of backing each other guys, like knock it off. <laughs> it's so toxic. It's so toxic. Do you have anything else you want to add to this conversation to anything about, you know, things you're looking forward to being a stay-at-home mom? I feel like we kind of captured it all. So I think maybe in, like I said, two months, three months, we should circle back and just kind of do a like update. How you feeling? What do you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, who knows how I'm going to feel tomorrow when they put a balloon in my cervix to expand it uh artificially i'm really i'm excited about that did you get the balloon i did not get the balloon i got the little like pill looking deal yeah so she said about the pill but then she said also sometimes they put a balloon in there i i heard about it yeah and i read about it too so i might i might have a balloon in my cervix in the next you know 12 hours or or you might just naturally go into labor in the next 12 hours also possible. That is also possible. All right. Well, yeah. So if you have any opinions on what we've said, we of course encourage you to be civil, but you know. Um, so yeah, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at seven dayworkweek.pod. What are we talking about next week? I think it's labor, right? Yeah, we're talking about labor. So we're uh we're gonna talk about your labor experience and what you remember from it. We're gonna talk about uh my labor experience, which is in- imminent. Um and uh yeah yeah i think that's all we have for today okay so thank you for uh listening to the seven day work week the labor after labor podcast uh please follow us on twitter and instagram at seven day work week pod bye